realize none of you are children. <laughs> um, but we are partnering with community this summer to bring VBS. Um, I will be at Webster Hall that first week of June. And I just wanted to invite any of you, if you are going to be here this summer, we are in need of volunteers to help with kids that week. Um, we are looking for crew leaders and station leaders. Crew leaders hang around. They have a um, group of five to ten kids, and they just that's their group, and they are in charge of those kids for the whole day. Um, it's just the mornings. Um, and then station leaders are in charge of either a craft or games or um, the Bible story, and they just repeat that 20-minute segment for the morning. So if you're going to be here this summer and would like to help, there is a sign-up sheet out by the child check-in booth. That would be awesome. We're getting really excited about it. Next thing is, many of you know we do young family nights, um, and we are looking for child care for those nights. The next one is May 11th, and then it's just once a month. Again, if you're here this summer or even in the fall when school starts again and you would like to help with child care those nights, I'm sending around a sign-up sheet. And if you can, some um, from first service, right, like once school starts in the fall or days you know you will be available or can't be available, um, and I told them, you know, the more people I get to sign up, the less I'll ask you to help. Um, so, yeah, if you can do any just once a month, any or all, just sign up. And then I think I'm going to bring it over to Tyler. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah, like I was sitting in the back. It's all right. Okay. Hey, how's everybody doing? Good. All right. Real quick announcement. Um, it's just a bunch of announcements, but it's awesome. Uh, we've got uh, Quincy and I are just so thankful uh, that for everybody who gave towards the the youth trip that we're taking this summer uh, to camp um, last uh, last week. Um, but we still have more envelopes uh, with more amounts that you can give. You don't have to give that exact amount, but. We still have more, and if you are um, willing to help us, that would be um, so awesome. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, good morning, church. Uh, my name's Tyler. I am the associate pastor here at Bethany. And uh, if this is your first time, or if it's your hundredth time, or millionth time, I'm just so glad you're here. I'm just so glad you came. Uh, and it, uh, if, uh, if you've been with us throughout the past year or so, we've been kind of periodically been going through the gospel of Luke and where we are landing today is going to be in the chapter in chapter 16. Um, so we, we just looked at the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Uh, now we're going to be looking at another parable that Jesus teaches us. And to be honest, it's kind of a messy parable and it's not messy in the way that Jesus presents it, not the material in it, but it's kind of messy with how we can interpret it, how we can kind of misunderstand what it's really trying to say, because there is a lot to it. So, before I make a fool of myself, um, let's let's pray. Give this time up to God. Uh, if, you, if you could bow your heads with me, Lord Jesus, um, I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of um, teaching your word. I'm not worthy of these things. But yet, you say you are called. 
This church is called, and we need to hear um, what your words are this morning. Uh, And I just pray that this morning uh, we we can receive them with humble hearts, even the hard teachings. I just pray that um, we were able to uh, receive those things, um, and that you 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 start something in us, and you you bring that to completion. Um, We we just praise you for who you are. We we love you, and we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so much of what I've prepared for you this morning uh, was heavenly, heavily influenced uh, by a pastor by the name of John MacArthur. He's an awesome teacher of the Word. He just had a bunch of material on this, and the best thing about it is he's really careful with this parable because it's so tough. Uh, and I want to be careful with it too. Um, so let's let's kind of dig into it. So we're going to be in the chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 13. And kind of all throughout Scripture, Jesus, He gives us almost 40 parables. He gives us 40 stories that speak in one way or another about the truth of God. So we just looked at a series of parables uh, of a variety of things that in one way, shape, or form are in a state of lostness, right? Uh, we have the lost coin, the lost sheep, then the prodigal son who finds himself in a state of lostness. And, and we're going to continue this trend this morning uh, with the parable that we're looking at. Uh, but it's not, it's not directly something that is lost. It's more of a mismanaged thing or a trait of mismanagement. See, out of all of the parables that Jesus gives us, about one out of three deal with the topic of money. With money. And that shouldn't really surprise us, though, because, I mean, if you think of money, if you want to know where your heart is, look at your bank statements, right? If you want to know... um, where your heart's gravitating towards. Look at what you're spending your money on. Look at what you're spending your time and thoughts on. See, we spend more time thinking about money and our possessions than not thinking about them. That, that's just a fact. Like, we spend more time thinking uh, at, at where we're putting our money, where we're receiving it, how we're investing it, um, spending it. We spend more time thinking about money than not thinking about money, and so this passage deals with the to- that topic, and it's tough. So let's let's kind of dive right into it. All right, in Luke sixteen one through ter- thirteen. He also said to the disciples, "There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him." What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, Well, a hundred measures of oil. And then the manager, he says to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? 
He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, so that was a lot. A lot of material. Uh, and to be completely honest, the first time uh, I read through this passage when I was preparing, uh, first thought that went through my head was just like, what? <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> like, what was that about? It's not the easiest passage to handle for many reasons, but I, I think the main two reasons uh, that it is hard to handle is that one, it has to do with our wallets. And two, it has to do with our hearts. We're going to see that those two things kind of go hand uh, in hand as we work our way through this passage. And one of the best and also the worst things about working verse by verse through books of the Bible is that you come upon some passages that you just really want to kind of swerve around. (laughs) You know, it's like your natural instinct is... I don't really want to deal with that right now because it's real, you know. Um, It's kind of intimidating. But what happens when we look at these challenging passages, when we read them, is that we're brought to true repentance. Every single time. Because I don't want to hear what what I want to hear. I don't want to hear what I want to hear. I want to hear what God has to say. Like I don't want to just read what I want to read out of Scripture and kind of omit the rest. Right? And so in this parable in particular, uh, many scholars throughout history have claimed that this parable uh, is one of the most difficult parables to handle. And <laughs> that was like one of the first things I read, so it was like super encouraging. Um, and and uh, when I, you know, heard that I was going to be preaching, I was like, Lord, you're going to have to take this one away. You got you to do it, because I ain't got nothing, right? But while some passages seem a little bit more complicated uh, than others, or they make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, I would take comfort in this, in the fact that we've been given the Bible and God doesn't ask us to be like Sherlock Holmes and solve a bunch of mysteries about it or riddles. He just says, listen to me. And through his, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and the carefulness of our minds, we're able to hear what he has to say and we're able to meditate on it and we're able to live those things out. And so at this point in the Gospel of Luke, we are placed right after the story of the prodigal son, uh, I think intentionally because it's kind of a story of a prodigal manager. Prodigal just means wasteful. 
the son wasted in the prodigal son parable. He wasted everything and he didn't provide for his future. In this case, we have a guy that wastes everything, but he's still trying to plan for his future. So the text says there was a certain rich man, and I'm just going to add that he was probably like filthy rich. Okay, um, we know that he's a significant man because uh, significant man because of the amount of money and things that people owe to him. And so this rich man, the master, has a manager that he puts him in charge and of uh, all of the assets of his entire operation, everything pretty much. He oversees the crops, the laborers, the, the spending, the receiving, the saving. He was probably the most important person in the master's household. So he had this really high expectation to meet, but we find out in verse 1 that he wastefully spends the rich man's money, right? But then we see the rich man acts immediately in verse 2. He says, he called him out and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. In other words, you're fired. Goodbye. Right? And so the manager, he loses his job. He's losing his home. He's losing his income, his reputation, because nobody is going to have respect for him because he mismanages money. He's, uh, he's foolish. He's incompetent. He's wasteful. So in verse 3, he says to himself, What shall I do? What is next? When I've lost my job, how am I to gain respect in the eyes of all these other potential rich guys that I can work for? I've got to find a way to go somewhere else. I've got to have a place to live. I have to have an income. I have to have a secure future. Then he says, Well, I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. This guy's a proud man. Am I right? Like he is proud of himself that he wouldn't want to do that. He's not interested in picking up some tools and just going to do some landscaping. He's not interested in going to the street corner and begging for money. He doesn't want to go to that low status. So, so now what? He has this brilliant idea. He says, I know what I shall do so that when I'm removed from the management People will welcome me into their homes because that's what he actually needs, right? <laughs> he has to have a future. He, he, he has to meet his needs, his quite luxurious needs, I might add. He says, I know what I'll do. Who in my town would be the first people to welcome me into their homes after I've been fired? I know who it'll be. It'll be the people that owe my old master a bunch of cash. Okay? Because I need status. I need to be where I am right now. I need to be in important places in the houses of important people. So I've got a plan. I'm going to contact all the people who owe my master debts. And I'm going to discount them. I'm going to discount all of their debts. That's a pretty clever move. Right? That's pretty shrewd. Indeed. He's thinking, now, when I forgive a portion of their debts, it's going to be I that looks like the generous one, right? So verse 5, he, it says, He summoned each one of his master's debtors. The first one, he says, How much do you owe my master? And he said, Well, a uh, hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. 
50% off. This dude takes 50% off. If I have 50% off anything, I'm buying the entire store of that thing. Okay, I'll find a purpose for it because that's legit. Okay, that's a good deal. I'm all about the deals. And he owes 100 measures of oil. That is a lot of oil. And this isn't like motor oil. This is like olive oil, like expensive stuff. And this took years to get this amount of um, oil. It's worth a lot. It's a big debt. He says, oh, you just cut it in half. Why don't we? But you're going to have to sit down quickly, the text says. You can almost hear him say like, okay, you have to sit down quickly. You have to sign here. You have to sign here. Sign here. Your social security goes right here. Writes to your firstborn. Then uh, the promise that you're going to hire me once I get fired from my last job. And then you can just sign right here. And then we're all finished. That's pretty quick. That's a good deal, right? He's kind of pushy. <laughs> he gets a little pushy. We find the other debtor in verse 7. How much do you owe? And he said, uh, a thousand uh, bushels of wheat or a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So that would have been uh, about a thousand bushels of wheat, which is like a hundred acre, acres to produce that. And maybe like eight, eight or so, maybe 10 years of labor. So this is like a huge amount of wheat and he discounts 20%. So obviously this guy's going to take what he can get. That was a pretty good deal how generous this manager is, right? So things are getting a little edgy here, right? This manager is kind of being a crook with his master's money, and this parable gets super real because it's pointing directly at the world, and he says, this is how you work, world. This is how the people in the world are. This is how it just works. This is kind of a, that maneuvering that outwits Anything that's going to get in your way of your ambition or your secure future. So in verse 8, it says this, His master praised or commended the unrighteous manager. (laughs) What? Why is he praising him? If anything, he should be condemning him. But no, he's commending him. He's like in honor of him. He's like, this is this guy right here. But he's not praising him because of his incompetence. He's definitely not praising him because of his deception uh, of his owner. He's praising him because he acted shrewdly. His owner praised him because he acted shrewdly. Acting shrewdly means you're clever. How clever it was to use whatever means possible to secure his tomorrow. Jesus is saying this is just how the world works. It's an example of how evil this world can be. And I'm sure many of us have experienced this in our lives, like in the workplace of, you know, people doing whatever they need possible to climb the ladder. Maybe we're guilty of doing that as well. See, people in this world are incredibly clever and also incredibly manipulative. So Jesus, he says in verse 8, the sons of this world are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Wait, so Jesus is commending this guy too, right? 
See, this is what drives people insane about this parable. Like, yeah, I get that the master in the story would maybe feel that way. Like, he's like, oh, you got me. That was a good move, man. Uh, but no, we're kind of waiting for like that moment where Jesus plays his cards and he's like, no. But says, Jesus says, yeah. The people in this world care more about their tomorrow than Christians care about eternity. Yeah, that means all of the wicked government officials, the uh, CEOs that are just twisted, the, the atheist grocery store clerk, he says, they are more shrewd than the sons of light. Sons of light meaning the believers and than the sons of this world, the, the non-believers. He says, they're more shrewd than we are. So what could Jesus possibly mean by that? In verse 9, he says, I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. So what did this manager do? What did, he, what did this guy do? He, he, he used what he had, his assets, the, the wealth of unrighteousness to purchase dwellings for his future. It's for his temporary future. And Jesus is saying that's what the sons of this age do, and that's what they've always done. He says, you though, you need to be at least as shrewd as they are. You should use your money, your possessions, your wealth, even though it's part of this unrighteous system, and use that unrighteous wealth and purchase friends with it that will welcome you and receive you into the eternal dwellings. He's basically saying, use your earthly blessings to bless other people. Because those people that you're blessing are the ones that are going to be welcoming you into the heavens when you arrive. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 12, if you uh, recall, we have this parable of the foolish rich man. In verse 16, let's, let's just read it really quick, because it's so in parallel with what's going on in this passage. It says, And he told them a parable, probably the same group of people, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Just relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He says, you are a fool. You have all this money, but you will die and you will leave every cent of it behind. That's what he's talking about in this passage. The sons of this world handle wealth of unrighteousness in this way. See, the money of this world is temporary. You can't take it with you, so it belongs to a temporary world. And yet, in the most amazing and gracious way, the Lord says, so there's a foolish way to spend this temporal money that you've been given that 
helps nobody but your selfish desires. And then there's a more shrewd, a more clever, a more brilliant way of using this wealth to invest in kingdom opportunities that can lead to the relationships that spread the gospel of grace from voice to voice to voice across the world. You can use your money for that. That's good. That right there is investing in kingdom capital, in kingdom riches. But the question is, how can I put my treasure in heaven? How can I take the wealth of unrighteousness and put it in heaven and purchase friends that will welcome me when I arrive? The answer is this. Invest in what proclaims the gospel and brings salvation to people. Invest in what proclaims the gospel and brings people to salvation. Invest in the kingdom enterprises. This leads to our first point. Did he just say first point? I did. I'm just going to kind of wrap them, wrap everything up with my points today, okay? So you can tell your blood pressure to chill out. Um, so we're going to be looking at our first one here. Uh, our first takeaway is this. Is that followers of Christ invest money in kingdom enterprises. See, God grants us an abundance of creation to steward for his glory, an abundance of wealth. Even though it doesn't feel like a lot of wealth sometimes, we still are blessed with this wealth. And much of his glory is brought when we are willing and humble enough to serve the people that he serves, to give to the people that he gives to. I'm not just talking about like Bethany, Bethany and our ministry here, although there's a lot of kingdom activity going on here. But man, there's so many amazing gospel-centered missionaries and groups and organizations that you can give to and help their cause. Like you'd have to try pretty hard to avoid like most of the opportunities that God presents to us to help spread his gospel. Right? And the text also says we have to be clever. We ought to be shrewd, thoughtful. We ought to be wise in where we spend our money. See, I find it wise to buy somebody a cheeseburger and myself a cheeseburger if I'm lucky and and just talk about life and uh, share the gospel with them. I think that's wise and delicious. But on a more real note, it's also wise to cut wasteful spending out of your life. Out of my life. Because here's the truth. My wasteful spending can easily translate into hope-filled blessing for other people that are in need. And you know what your wasteful spending is. It's what you have a bunch of. You ain't need no more, but you still keep buying it. That money can bless people. But what if I don't have a lot to give? What if... I won't see the outcome of my investment for years, right? What if I've already given regularly, as any good Christian would do so that I can write it off on my taxes? What if I'm already doing these things, right? Well, here's the painful truth, my friends, and I say this in love to you, that the amount you possess is not the issue. Your character is the issue. Your commitment to Christ is the issue. 
So you're, you're either humble, you're generous, non-materialistic, committed to the kingdom with all of your heart, or you're not. It's not a question of an amount, it is a question of faithfulness. Of where your heart resides. That's what verse 10 says. He who is faithful with little is going to be faithful with much. The amount that goes up and down in our bank accounts is not going to be the distinguishing factor of where our heart's going. Or where it is. The second takeaway is this here. Followers of Christ invest time in kingdom enterprises. We invest time. See, where the manager in the parable went wrong is that he went right to the point. He, he rushed right to it, to the end goal. He said, sit down, sign this. I'm here to bless you. I'd encourage you to bless me if I come here to you in the near future. Where, where's the relationship in that? Where, where's like the, the time necessary to build a kingdom-founded relationship that seeks Jesus in his will? See, I think if the manager was to kind of come alongside and get to know the debtors, get to know their story, uh, walk beside them and use his wits and his intellect and maybe like come up with a plan to pay back his old master. And not only will, if that happens, the, the debtor will be honorable because he's paid his debt, but also the old manager would be honorable too because he, he helped the cause. He helped everybody um, benefit See, we're called to spend time with one another. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, and I've read this before, but it's just so good when it comes to our community and our inability to sometimes meet together. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This leads to our last takeaway. And it is this. Followers of Christ are kingdom representatives to this world. See, Jesus entrusts us as his people in order to display his gospel to the world. Much like the master in the story entrusts his manager to be the first to respond to the needs of the business, the first ones to willingly stay up all night to watch over the flock, the first ones to be held accountable for the well-being of the people and all of the things that are going on, so too does Jesus entrust us to be the first to respond to the hurting world around us. The first ones to willingly stay up all night praying for the souls of the people of this town. Watching out all day for people to bless and to serve like Jesus is calling us to serve. And we pray diligently for his kingdom to come. But God forbid we be unprepared when it actually shows up. Right? God forbid we're too busy working our way up a ladder when it does show up. And God forbid... We're not willing when he brings it to us and we don't pray for his kingdom to come as if it isn't here yet. Because it is. See, the kingdom is where the king resides. 
1 Corinthians 3.16 states, Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit, it dwells in you. His spirit dwells in you. Therefore, his kingdom has dominion, has rule over your life and through your life. Does the faith that we practice look like that's actually the case? More specifically, this passage is asking us, asking you and me, are you more concerned about your eternity than you are about your own tomorrow? And this one's just as much of a stinger. He's asking us this. Furthermore, are you more concerned about your neighbor's eternity as you are about the security of your own tomorrow? See, I hope eternal riches are what our hearts long for as a church. That's what I hope. And you want to you see a church that's filled with eternal riches? Look at the churches that are in impoverished nations throughout the world. That they cling to nothing more than the words of Christ in his kingdom of grace. His kingdom of redemption. They don't have the option to cling to anything else. And I also believe that us right here at Bethany don't have any other option to cling on to. See, I believe that the riches and the richness of Christ should be so valuable to us. And so desirable in our eyes that all other riches, all other ambitions, they don't come close in comparison to what Christ has to offer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we couldn't make a list long enough of the blessings you give to us. There's no amount of paper or pen in the world that can write it down. Lord, we come before you as a group of just broken people that have, in one point in our lives, mismanaged the things that you have so graciously given to us. And yet, in the midst of our mismanagement, in the midst of our sin, you say, I want you. Don't go anywhere. Just come closer to me. You are forgiven. Lord, your gospel is everything that we, that we need. The fact that you are the God that comes to us when we are so broken and alone. You come to us when we're living in our sin and dying in our sin. You say, I want to give you my life. And you come and give your life for the ransom of many, of many people who come to you. Lord, I pray that that's real in our hearts, real in our minds, that that is the reality that we live in every single day, that you redeem things, that you renew things, that you bring new life into our lives, and you direct us with how we spend our money, how we spend our time. You direct us in how you, you know that we'll best, best benefit from it. So Lord, thank you for your gospel and everything that we do everything that you do. We love you and we pray these things in your name. We want to worship you right now.
Amen.